it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one. It's Wednesday, which means armchair politics. Uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. And uh, But we're going to start out talking about Cuba, an American history, and let's get right into it. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is an NYU award-winning historian with a new book called Cuba, an American History. And uh, my guest is uh, Ada Ferrer, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Ada. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, Cuba and American History, what makes... A, a, a book about Cuba and American history? Great question. Uh, Cuba and the U.S. have had a, a long entangled history of, of, of relations and misunderstandings and, and so on, you know, for centuries, long before uh, Cuba became independent, even before the U.S. became independent. So there's no way to write a history of Cuba that doesn't also pay significant attention to the U.S. So that's one way 
that this is Cuba in American history. I also like the title because given the fact that the two countries are so connected and that the U.S. has had such an enormous impact on Cuba, it seems to me that a, that a history of Cuba can also serve as a mirror to U.S. history. So it, the book, I think, provides readers with a way to see the U.S. itself kind of from the outside in, through the eyes of, of someone else. You know, is I'm curious about how much proximity plays a role in the interactions between the U.S. and Cuba, but also I wanted to bring up on that point of um, uh, sort of American history, that pop culture would have us believe that if we went to Cuba, it would be like stepping into the U.S. in the 1950s. Yeah. Is is yeah. that the way it really is, or is is that just a, uh, a, a fun Hollywood picture? It's a fun Hollywood picture. It's not like that at all. I remember when... Uh, when Barack Obama went to Cuba in 2016, and the U.S. media was covering Cuba all the time. All of them said, almost all of them had a line that said, Cuba, an island frozen in time. And they would show pictures of the old, you know, American Cadillacs and Chevys and Studebakers from the 1950s, the crumbling buildings and so on. But, um, you know, no time doesn't stand still for any individual. It doesn't stand still for any country. Uh, Cuba is nothing like it was in the 1950s or 60s. It's the, the revolution has transformed it enormously. Time has transformed it. People have changed. There's been mass migration. Um, yeah, so I think that is a Hollywood illusion completely. And in terms of proximity, I don't know if you want me to talk about that now. It's yeah. hugely important for the relationship. Yeah, that you know, it's interesting. Thomas Jefferson, you know, not long after American independence, talked about imagining that said that his ideal map of the United States would incorporate Canada to the north and Cuba to the south. So he thought the U.S. would reach all the way down to Cuba's southern border. So it was always Im imagined physically, geographically, as part of the U.S. by American leaders. And I think to us, you know, in the 1820s, people, you know, statesmen like John Quincy Adams were saying, without without acquiring Cuba, we can never fulfill our potential as a republic. Cuba is necessary for the survival and vitality of the United States. And people now think that it just sounds strange, you know. Why, why would Cuba be so important? But actually, if you look at a map and you look at the location of Cuba, it makes sense for 19th century American leaders to have thought that. Cuba is situated where the Gulf of Mexico meets the Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. If you look at where the port of New Orleans is on a map, um, and you look at where Cuba is, you realize that all trade coming out of New Orleans in the 19th century by ship and going up to the eastern seaboard and to Europe and to Latin America had to go right by that stretch between Havana and, you know, and, the, and, the, and the United States. So American leaders thought that if someone else controlled Cuba, they had the potential to cripple American commerce. So to avoid that, they thought their best bet was to make Cuba part of the United States and to control that, that seaward uh, route. 
Is is it um, is my memory correct in in believing that it was something like from the Florida Keys to Cuba is about ninety miles? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes people say 80-something, sometimes 90. I tried measuring it on a map and got a little tiny bit over 100, but yes, in that vicinity. And, and is Cuba an island? Cuba's an island. It's actually a large island. It's the largest island in the Caribbean. If you were to kind of, you know, it's a very horizontal island. If you were to place it vertically alongside the eastern seaboard it covers the distance between say new york and savannah georgia so a long island um yeah see i was terrible with geography out of and yeah <laughs> and and i i just always imagine cuba as being attached somehow to south america i don't know why no it's um yeah it's not it's a uh, it really is just right below uh, the Florida, you know, the, the Florida Peninsula and uh, near New Orleans, near the Gulf of, near the Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula that uh, that juts out into the Gulf of Mexico. And then south of Cuba is Jamaica and um, further south is Central America and Panama. But no, it's not, it's not attached. And, and geography, I'm not a geography buff either, but the, you know, working on Cuba makes you really aware of it because it, it's almost like in the 19th century, geography was almost like destiny. That's how the Americans tended to see it, that the U.S. would become American as a function of that geography. John Adams said Cuba is like uh, an apple on a tree, and once it ripens and falls, it will fall to us. Now, your book covers the time uh, from the discovery by Columbus to the election of Joe Biden. Um, mm -hmm. But I want to ask about that. Columbus always seemed to be running into places on his way to the West Indies. Um, did he ever go any place on purpose? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, when certainly not the not the first time he came to the, you know, what came to be called the New World. But then, you know, he made four voyages. So, in the last three voyages, he did return to some of the places he had been to the first time on purpose. So, so there was a little bit of that. But you know, he died, you know, still insisting that that he was you know that he had reached the east that these were the indies and uh he made his his sailors take you know take vows to that so yeah he was you know and of course from his misunderstanding comes the very term indian right so they they arrived in the western hemisphere and because they thought they were in the indies in the east indies they called the the people they met indians but that is just was just a function of his of his gaffe of his mistake. Um, <laughs> the, you know, they, they, the people that 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 were in Cuba before you know before Columbus and who were there when he arrived came to be called came to be known as the Tainos, and uh, a, a, you know a fascinating group um, that has had an you know an enormous impact in in Cuban culture, but even beyond Cuban culture, they had systems. Uh, that then shaped the Spanish colonial project in all of Latin America. They had musical instruments that are still used in contemporary Caribbean music. They had words that then became, you know, that are that are really common in the Spanish language, 
And some of them even made it into English. So, for example, the word hurricane comes from the Taino word for hurricane. Um, in, in Spanish, you say huracan, because, you know, people didn't know hurricanes in, in Europe. They, they, they encountered them for the first time uh, in the New World, and they used that indigenous name um, to label it. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, talking with a guy who had uh, moved into Michigan, where I live, um, from Australia, and he said, boy, you people in the States have some weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He was talking about hurricanes and tornadoes yeah. and you know yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So we don't have all that, you know, in, you don't, in yeah. Australia. But, um, right. you know, over the last at least couple or three presidential administrations, there's been talk, and I imagine it's it's popped up from time to time ever since the 60s, and uh, and President Kennedy's, you know, somewhat well known break with Cuba, that mm -hmm. we would normalize relations with Cuba at some point. Um, and, and I guess my question is, what does that really mean? And have relations with Cuba ever been normal? That's a, a great question. Um, have they ever been normal? You know, it all depends on how you define normal, I suppose. But um, certainly before the revolution, the two countries were allies, but um, they were allies in a relationship in which Cuba was very subservient. And uh, one of the signs of, you know, what you might call that abnormality is something called the Platt Amendment, which I think every, I mean, every Cuban knows about it. I think every American should know about it as well. And at the end of the 19th century, uh, when Cuba was fighting its wars of independence against Spain from 1868 to 1898, the U.S. intervened at the end of that, and that became known as the Spanish-American War. And the U.S. won, and then it remained in Cuba as an occupying power. So it ran the government, determined budgets. The, Cuba was ruled by a U.S. governor for four years. And the U.S. said it would leave only if the Cubans accepted something called the Platt Amendment. And basically the Platt Amendment gave the U.S. the right to intervene in, in Cuba militarily without the invitation of the Cuban government. So that's not, you don't think of that as a very kind of normal relationship between two countries. And that was an essential part of, of that relationship for many decades. It's that, you know, it's that Platt Amendment and then the tre a treaty that followed that gave the U.S. Guantanamo, for instance. That's why you have this strange little piece of land that is, that, you know, that's a naval base and that's in Cuba but is not Cuban territory. Um, it limited the ability of the Cuban government to incur debt or to sign treaties with other countries. So, so I guess so I wouldn't call that normal, I suppose. So, so that's one sign of how the relationship has always been uh, really complicated and not and not straightforward. And then, of course, you know, after Fidel Castro and the revolution, it would get not normal in a in different kind of way, right? In 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 an opposite kind of way. More about Cuba with NYU historian Ada Ferrer, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Cuba with NYU historian Ada Ferrer. Straight ahead. Was it the revolution that that undid the Platt Amendment, or had that already been overturned somewhere along the line? Yeah, it was overturned uh, in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen thirties and nineteen in nineteen thirty four, and it was basically for two reasons. One is that. Cubans were very mobilized against it. There had been a smaller, unsuccessful, or a short-lived revolution, I should say, in 1933, and, so, and, and Cubans were demanding the end of it, so that contributed to it. Also, that FDR, you know, had, had come to power, and he, he was trying to chart a new path forward with Latin America. He wanted fewer interventions, military and political. There had been dozens of interventions in Latin America um, in the first three decades of, of the 20th century. So he also wanted to end the Platt Amendment. So for that reason, it was, it was eliminated in, um, in 1934. And then what precipitated um, JFK's famous break with with Cuba that there are all these romantic stories about him sending yeah. aides out to buy Cuban cigars and then you know signing right. the declarations and so on but yeah. but what yeah. really what really precipitated that well you know Eisenhower had begun to do it before and then it um Kennedy solidified it and uh, what has happened before was uh, was the Bay of Pigs, so um, you know the the very famous debacle of the U.S. sending inva- an invasion force to topple Fidel Castro that failed spectacularly, and um, you know I think that one of the most interesting periods in Cuban history is those first uh, two and a half years of. The revolution of 1959. Americans often think that the revolution was Fidel Castro's revolution. It was a communist revolution, but in the beginning, it wasn't. Uh, Fidel Castro was one leader among many. Um, by 59, he was the most prominent and and the the critical, the central figure, certainly. But it's the the revolution wasn't communist uh, in the beginning, and most people who supported it. Um, weren't communist either. So it became communist over those two years in this, in this really interesting dynamic where, you know, people are pushing for change. Fidel Castro is being a, a master of, of communication and, and politics and, and leading kind of a leftward turn. And also this dynamic that takes hold between Cuba and the U.S. where they start to have conflicts and tensions and each party does something to up the ante each time and then the other party responds in kind and it just kind of all falls apart um there's one interesting example in in late summer of 1960 where um the u.s is uh is trying to kind of limit, um, you know, it's just tr- trying to, to make it harder for uh, for Fidel Castro. And 
uh, the U.S. Uh, is refusing to sell oil to, the, to Cuba, and so Cuba buys oil from the Soviet Union. The problem is that the only refineries in Cuba are American-owned. But the American refineries won't, you know, won't refine Soviet oil, and it just the situation just keeps escalating. And then, you know, Cuba nationalized the the oil companies, nationalized American uh, sugar plantations, nationalized American um, utility companies, and so on. Uh, and so each each thing like that kind of gets you know, makes it makes the other country do something more forceful, more forceful until you get things like the Bay of Pigs invasion and the breaking of, of diplomatic relations. It just escalates. And I was going to ask you about how the Soviets got interested in in Cuba to begin with, if it had something to do with its proximity to the states, because Cuba certainly... Um, played host to some of the more dramatic events in the during the Cold War but um, yeah. and I'm thinking about of course the 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 Cuban missile crisis but right but was was it some kind of strategic thing by the Soviets or were they really just drawn in by selling oil I think it was more of a strategic thing by the Cubans than than by the Soviets <laughs> I think the, Interesting. I think the yeah, I think the Soviets were, they were taken by surprise by everything happening in, in Cuba. You know, they didn't direct the revolution initially, certainly, and they were surprised to suddenly find an ally 90 miles from the coast of the U.S. Once they found it, they used it strategically, certainly. But I think the, the impetus and the origin comes more from from the Cubans turning to them. And I think part of the reason they turned to them was, uh, you know, in this kind of increasingly hostile dynamic that begins to take shape with the U.S. So the U.S. doesn't sell them oil. Okay, well, we know where we can get oil, that, you know, that kind of thing. And um, and Fidel Castro is an interesting figure. He always loved to be dramatic and provocative. And one of the things he does early on, you know, the revolution, he comes to power in January of 59. In February 1960, he invites a Soviet minister to visit Havana and to bring an, ex an exhibition about Soviet culture and technology. And Fidel Castro hosts them, takes all these pictures of him, takes them on a tour of the island. The Soviet minister, Migoyan, wears a straw Cuban peasant hat with the word Cuba on it and so on, you know, so on and so forth. And it was almost like, you know, Fidel Castro kind of loving the, the, the idea of, like, putting that in the face of, of the United States. And, of course, the U.S. panicked when they saw that, and there were all these meetings. What are we going to do? And we go, yeah, and we go, yeah. And so um, I think it was more the Cubans, more Cuban-directed than Soviet-directed. That's interesting. It You know, it seemed like toward the end of the Obama administration that um, – Travel restrictions were all but lifted um, with regard to Cuba, and and then it never quite got completed after the election of Donald Trump. Um, right. Or 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 did it? Where does where does that stand now? And what's likely to happen now that Biden is president? Right. So, you know, Obama wanted to normalize relations with. Uh, with Cuba, and that included things like easing travel restrictions. It was still impossible because of the embargo for Americans to go to Cuba as 
as declared tourists, but Obama increased the opportunities for what's called people-to-people travel. So you could go, say, on a tour to study, or to, not to study, to, to learn about, say, Cuban jazz or or what have you, right? So there were more opportunities for that kind of travel. You couldn't say to the State Department or the Treasury, I'm going to Cuba to go to beach to the beaches. <laughs> so you had to have this kind of cultural uh, ostensibly cultural reason, but but still, you know, there were tour, there were cruise ships going. The number of Americans grew uh, traveling to the island grew exponentially in those years. When Trump came to power, he uh, he put limits on on all that, and um, he he made it impossible to, um, for example, to stay at hotels that were run by by the Cuban military, and many of them are run by the Cuban military. Uh, he stopped charter flights, uh, sorry, commercial flights to, actually commercial and charter flights to cities not in Havana, so people couldn't go to other destinations. He he enacted all these rules like that. He made it harder to send money by, you know, rel- for relatives and friends to send money to people on the island. And when Biden was running for election, he said he was going to reverse the Trump policies that most hurt the Cuban people. So, you know, I think most most people understood that to mean that he would reverse restrictions on, like, sending money to family primarily on remittances and so on. But he hasn't done that yet. Um, I think, you know, he's had a lot on his plate, <laughs> obviously, co- coming into power in the, into the White House in the middle of the pandemic, you know, after the January 6th events. Afghanistan, everything. Um, but then, um, yeah, so he just, he's been acting very, very slowly on, on Cuba. And there used to be, as I remember, um, strong resistance from Cubans living in the U.S., especially in Florida, anytime mm-hmm. there were discussions about lifting the embargo. Is resistance mm-hmm. to making you know to to trying to develop cuba as an ally is is resistance to that still as strong as it used to be or is that waning well i think it's in in many ways it's as strong as it used to be but it did change when obama was in office actually people a majority of people in in south florida supported the change in policy so I feel like Cuban American opinion um, is not as immovable as as people assume. Um, Obama was able to move it. I don't know if that was just um, his particular gift, the particular moment. But then Trump, when Trump came in, the you know Cuban Americans followed his line. They loved his line. <laughs> Not all of them, but they 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 love the idea of um, yeah of of sticking it to the the Cuban government to to put it to put it bluntly. And one of the things that I think is most interesting about Miami is or South Florida is that a majority of Cuban Americans there have come to the island. I mean, sorry, have come to the U.S. fairly recently. So the biggest sector of that community arrived in the U.S. after 1995. 
So it's not like the old guard that was around during Kennedy or during Johnson or or, or Carter and Reagan and so on. It's a, it's a it's a new um, it's an it's a new and changing community, and most of them still have family on the island. Uh, they want to help their family on the island, but they are they have this deep deep resentment for the Cuban government, and I think that above all determines their their policy inclinations. Uh, given all of that, is it is it within President Biden's ability and and talents to get those people on board for just opening travel between Cuba and the U.S.? I don't think right now. First, there's COVID and Cuba's in terrible shape. Yeah. And things are getting worse here, so there's that. But also, um, I'm not sure that he's the person to move them on this, uh, which is unfortunate. I think that he could restart remittances and get people behind that. Uh, because all, you know, Cuban Americans, however much they hate the government, they still want to help their family. And they want to be able to send money. It's so difficult right now. And there's some companies that are doing it, but because of the new restrictions, it's become so expensive and um, so prohibitive that, 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 that I think easing easing the restrictions on, on sending money would be something that he could get uh, support for. And that would make a difference in, you know, in, in for, for many Cubans, not for all Cubans, because not all Cubans receive money from abroad. Do you think the, uh, the Vice President Kamala Harris would be a better emissary for uh, talks with, with Cubans and with Cuban Americans? Uh, perhaps, um, but no, I'm not even convinced that that would work. I think, I think the, I think a, a whole new tone is necessary, a whole, a whole new perspective. I think, you know, I think one of the things that Obama did well is to just, is to just put it really bluntly that this hardline policy on Cuba has been in effect for 60 years and it hasn't worked. So you can't, you know, he said you can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. I mean, he just used common sense and I feel like, um, unfortunately, like Biden, the Biden administration is, is relying kind of on older platitudes about Cuba. That said, I mean, he's, he's making an effort. He's been meeting with Cuban American leaders regularly but i think it's telling that he's meeting with cuban american leaders only from south florida you know by doing that it's almost like he's saying it's a domestic political issue it's about the florida elections instead of Uh, you know having broader conversations with with other cubans on a diverse ideological spectrum having discussions with other nations i think one of the problems with u.s policy historically regarding cuba is that it's so unilaterally it's so unilateral and a lot of the world rejects things like the embargo it's voted against almost uh you know overwhelmingly at the at the un uh whenever that vote happens 
So uh, I think the U.S. would do a lot better to work with the European Union, with Latin, with more Latin American countries, um, to try to to. To try to have a sensible Cuba policy, it doesn't mean you know a pro-Castro Cuba policy, but it's just something that 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 allows the needle to move. No one, you know, people in Cuba want change, but no one wants an explosion or a civil war, right? You want you want peaceful change, and to get peaceful change, you have to be willing to dialogue and to talk and to bring other people into the conversation. How are relations between Cuba and Russia in these uh, years since the so-called fall of the Soviet Union? Yeah. Well, you know, when, when the Soviet Union fell, Cuba was, it was the worst economic crisis um, in history in many ways. It just lost most of its trade, its resources, its subsidies, didn't have oil, etc. Uh, it's interesting that when Obama began the opening to Cuba, the, the, you know, one country that seemed to be dead set against it was Russia. Uh, it didn't want the U.S. coming into Cuba again and investing and, 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 and profiting and so on. So uh, since Trump has reversed the Obama opening, uh, the Russians have become once, you know, have become more involved in Cuba. Uh, financially, by investing with COVID, they're providing supplies and assistance. They're sending oil. Uh, a few years ago, they sent what was it? Um, oh, I can't remember if it was some lo- unusually large diamond or gem of some kind <laughs> to symbolize the friendship between the Cuban and Russian people, and it's displayed prominently in the lobby of the Cuban capital. So they, the Russians, love the rift between Cuba and the U.S. So Russia's investing, China's investing, but the U.S. isn't because it can't because of the embargo. I was going to ask, because you you touched on it a few minutes ago, Otto, when you said the um, pandemic was um, especially tough in Cuba, Mm -hmm. how much they're able to react and and address issues of the pandemic domestically and and if they have to turn outward who they turn to but it sounds like uh Mm -hmm. like like russia has been stepping up with vaccines and maybe other things and mexico actually um it's interesting because cuba began the pandemic or their initial response to the pandemic was excellent. Um, they put in in place, you know, really robust public health measures. They began research on the vaccine. They sent doctors to help in places like northern Italy when Italy was hit very hard at the beginning of the pandemic. It's really it's only after um, it's only in in, in this year uh, that the situation got worse. Um, they were Cuba was able to develop two of its own vaccines, and it's using that uh, to vaccinate its own citizens, including they started vaccinating children just um, maybe last week or you know just very recently. And I think about fifty percent of the population is now fully vaccinated. So they've made they've definitely made progress with the vaccines. The problem is their infrastructure is just destroyed. There hasn't been investment in infrastructure. Uh, very much so hospitals are in terrible shape there's gasoline shortages so there's no 
gasoline for ambulances to pick up patients. There's severe test shortages. So, the you know, getting an accurate number of the cases has been hard over the last, um, you know, couple of months. Uh, there's shortage of basic medicines like painkillers and antibiotics. Um, and so on and so forth. There's a shortage of syringes, even though they have the vaccine. So all that has just hampered uh, the res- the response. And they had opened to tourism um, earlier this year, in part because of this, you know, the, because the economic situation was so bad. But it's interesting that the first really bad spikes occurred uh, precisely in areas near the tourist resorts, because you had local workers who would go to the tourist resort and then go home and then they would bring it back so uh so it's a, 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 I, 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 did, I haven't checked this week but recently it was in like the a couple of weeks ago it was in the top five of hot spots around the world my guest is uh ada ferrer and she is uh, a historian from nyu and the author of a new book called cuba on american history and Ada, I can I can now see why you're considered one of the world's uh, leading historians on Cuba. Um, I feel like we're just scratching the surface, and yet we're out of time. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yep, it's uh, net. So it's just my name, no punctuation, and .net, A-D-A-S-E-R-R-E-R .net. Well, and uh, I would say, to, and you know, and the, sorry, the readers can also look at, you know, the NYU, I'm on the NYU um, website as, as well. That's another place to look. And I would just say to, to readers that, um, that, that Cuba is, um, is so close to the U.S. The histories of the two countries are so entangled. And I think that even even readers who perhaps are not already interested in Cuba can um, can get interesting new perspective, not just on Cuba but also on the U.S. Um, well, by Ada, reading the book. It, this has been a real pleasure talking with you. I feel like we could talk about this all day, but Ada, yes. <laughs> we, we have to. Uh, we have to stop it there, but uh, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing uh, some of your knowledge, uh, both with me and the well, listeners and in your book. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Take care. Keep up the good work. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Again, um, Ada Ferrer is one of the world's leading historians on Cuba. She is uh, from NYU, and the new book is called Cuba. An American History. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
the Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Crabgrass, here's to the mortgage. In fact, here's to suburbia. Lay down your briefcase far from the rat race where nothing can disturb ya. Uncomplicated, it's what we waited for so long in this city. Come, let us go there, live like Thoreau there, a life of sweet simplicity. Did you set the thermostat? No, I don't know where it's at. Tuesday the Cub Scouts meet again. Walk the dog and cut the grass. Take the kids to dancing class. Jim's Little League got beat again. Can't keep a maid here no matter. What they're paid here The place has bad publicity Why did we move here? Don't you remember To, to live, live in sweet simplicity To mosquitoes, clam dip and Fritos To golf and bridge and scuba there Men wearing knee pants, women in capri pants Discussing what's with Cuba there Each big appliance treats you with defiance Until it finally falls apart Call the repairman, in a week he's there, man, to knock your kitchen walls apart. Tommy's got a bloody nose, gotta fix the garden hose. Book of the month club came today. Didn't read the last one yet. Yes, you did, but you forget. Oh, well, they're all the same today. Tonight we're going joyously Back to the city where life is gay and witty Back to the noise there that everyone enjoys there Back to the crush there, hurry let us rush there Back to the rat race, don't forget your briefcase Back in the groove there, say why don't we move there Away Away from from all of this Sweet simplicity. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had frequently demonstrated a quick and ready wit. But his audience at the 1962 White House Correspondents' Dinner was unprepared for the high humor he revealed that night. It was shortly after his now-famous clash with the steel industry, in which the industry had announced and then rescinded a steel price increase. I have a few opening announcements. 
First, the sudden and arbitrary action of the officers of this organization in increasing the price of dinner tickets by two... by $2.50 over last year constitutes a wholly unjustifiable defiance of the public interest. If this increase is not rescinded, but is imitated by the gridiron, radio, TV, and other dinners, it will have a serious impact on the entire economy of this city. In this serious hour in our nation's history, when newsmen are awakened in the middle of the night to be given a front-page story. <laughs> when expense accounts are being scrutinized by the Congress. When correspondents are required to leave their families for long and lonely weekends at Palm Beach. <laughs> the American people will find it hard to accept this ruthless decision made by a tiny handful of executives. <laughs> Whose only interest is the pursuit of pleasure. <laughs> I am hopeful that the Women's Press Club will not join this price rise and will thereby force a rescission. I'm uh, sure... I speak in behalf of all of us in expressing our thanks and very best wishes to Benny Goodman and his group, to Ms. Gwen Burden and Bob Force, Ms. Sally Ann Howes, Mr. Reed, who has some talent, but... Uh... <laughs> and uh, Mr. Peter Sellers. I, I have arranged for them to appear next week on the United States Steel Hour. <laughs> Actually, uh, I didn't do it. Bobby did it, but uh, we're going <laughs> Like uh, members of Congress, I have been, during the last few days over the Easter holiday, back in touch with my constituents and uh, seeing how they felt. And frankly, I've come back to Washington from Palm Beach, and I'm against my entire program. Where'd you... Where'd you... feel that the only hope in 64 is to, uh, on the Republican ticket, is to nominate uh, Barry. But to be honest, I thought that before I went to Palm Beach. <laughs> we are glad to have the Prime Minister tonight. Last night he was the guest of the publishers, and again he is tonight. We want him to know... Uh... <laughs> How welcome he is. Lord Dunsany, a distinguished Irishman said many years ago, to fight England is to fight faith. And I choose to believe in 1962, to be associated with England in a great cause is to be associated with faith. Prime Minister, we are proud to have you here again. 
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Show down here. 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.